You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. So today's reading comes from Psalm 6. For the director of music with stringed instruments, according to Sheminis, a psalm of David. Lord, do not rebuke me with your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Thanks, Yves. My name is Adam, I'm one of the pastors here at DPC and it's great to open up Psalm 6 with you. Uh, Please do keep your Bibles open if you'd find it useful. There's an outline for today's sermon on the welcome card which you can find on our website. As we come to think about these words from King David, let's pray and ask that God would help us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of reading and studying and thinking about your word. We pray that Psalm 6 uh, would become clearer and clearer to us as we spend time in it now so that we would see uh, what it is you're teaching us and how we can use this psalm in our own lives. Amen. Imagine you've had a bad day. People have found out that you've been lying to them and it's all unravelled. Your friends are angry at you. Some of them have texted you uh, with tense messages expressing their disappointment at you. One of them even rang you up and blasted you over the phone. You sit on your bed and you just feel the weight of it all. Regret, despair, sorrow. Sorrow that is so deep and overwhelming that before you know it, tears begin to roll down your cheeks and you wonder if they'll ever stop. You try to pray to God but the words just don't come. I mean, how do you even start? What do you say? Does God even want to hear from you? Is this it? Is this the end of your walk as a Christian? Perhaps you've had an experience a bit like this. If you have, then Psalm 6 is for you. Perhaps you've had sorrow that wasn't because of your own actions, not that you've been caught out or things were happening because of your fault, that were your fault, but maybe you've had sorrow due to the actions of others. Psalm 6 is also for you. Perhaps you've just had sorrow from the effects of living in a messed up and fallen world. Well, again, Psalm 6 is for you. It's a psalm for sorrowful people. And that means it's useful for all believers because either we'll face sorrows or those we love will face sorrows. This psalm teaches us that suffering and sadness is very real and they are also very bad. 
Your son doesn't have all the answers. It doesn't tie everything up neatly at the end. It's not its purpose. Instead, its purpose is to give us some ideas on how we can express our feelings to God. It teaches us this. When you are suffering, you can express your sorrows to God in honest prayer. You say that again. When you are suffering, you can express your sorrows to God in honest prayer. It's not a psalm for deep theology. It's a psalm for deep feeling. It's a sorrowful psalm for sorrowful people. And all Christians are touched by sorrow. So what we're going to do today is work through this psalm and think about how King David prayed it, how we are to understand it, and then we'll go back and think about how we can use it ourselves, how we can take these words and make them our own. So first of all, we're going to look at David, David and his suffering. And it's clear from verse 1 that David felt as if he was under God's judgement. Have a look in your Bibles at verse 1. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. This is a clear example of how Hebrew poetry works. See, when we look at poetry or songs, we tend to look for lines sort of equal length and the last words often rhyme. We kind of look for that sort of shape or structure. But, but the Jews, they like to create parallel lines so that the first line would make a statement, then the next line would repeat it or advance it or maybe even do, say, the opposite. And so we can see here that the, the words anger and wrath are clearly connected. They're meant to, see, meant to see that they're related, which means then the words rebuke and discipline are related as well. David is asking God to not condemn him, to not chastise him. These are the actions that God takes in response to wrongdoing. And so it appears that David is conscious of his own sin and failing. Then we see verse 2 confirms this as another parallelism. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. You can see how these two statements sit next to each other to give us a picture of how David is experiencing physical symptoms that are in relation to God's judgement. He feels faint and in agony. And so he pleads for mercy and healing. And this fainting is not just because he's tired or he's sick. It's a sort of experience one has in the face of God's holy wrath. It's about feeling feeble and drained when being confronted with your own guilt. About the experience of anguish when suffering the consequences of your own misdeeds. David knows he has done wrong and that God will judge him. Perhaps God has already begun the judgement and David can't bear the thought of any more. But either way, he's become physically sick with the guilt and the burden. We don't actually know what he's done wrong but he's clearly tormented by it. It's possible it's in light of his adultery with Bathsheba, if you know that story, and then the underhanded plot to have her husband killed on the front line in war. And that could make sense because part of the punishment that came out of that, out of these, these wicked deeds, God said that there would be strife within his family. And we know from Psalm 3 
The title there tells us that David's son Absalom rose up against him to try to take the kingdom away from his own father. And so even though Psalm 3 has David crying out to God, he's being surrounded, attacked by his enemies, here in this psalm he's perhaps also saying, I I know this is partly my fault. That's why these things are happening. There's a deep sense of dread and terror that's welling up in David. So it all bursts out in verse 3, My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? And so in verse 4, David pleads to God to bring it to an end. He says, Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. He pleads for rescue from his guilt, from his burdened conscience, from his just punishment. And what does he rely on? What is his hope? It's God's own unfailing love. There's that wonderful word we looked at last week, chesed. Some of you love to hear that word, don't you? Yeah. But the meaning of the word is so important, isn't it? God's chesed is about his loving kindness, his covenantal commitment, his unfailing love. David calls upon God to show mercy for he's worried that unless the Lord relents, his very life will be consumed and he will die. This is expressed with yet another parallelism in verse 5. Have a look. Among the dead no one proclaims your name who praises you from the grave. Now this is not a theology lesson on what happens to people after they die. He's not teaching that once people die they kind of forget God and no one praises him. Also he's not trying to bribe God and saying, God please don't kill me because you need me. If I'm dead then there'll be no one left to praise you. No, instead, David is lamenting the fact that if he is to die due to God's discipline, then he'll no longer be able to praise God on the earth. Now, of course, we know that David would have lived on after death. We know from the book of Revelation, the New Testament, that dead believers are even now in heaven praising God. But from the perspective of this world, the dead don't praise God. There are no songs of rejoicing coming from the cemeteries of the world. If you go to a grave, even the grave of a Christian, you won't hear anything. There's no praise coming up out of the ground. Death leads to silence. Death leads to the end of praise. And so David pleads with God to not let this be his fate today. He wants to keep living so that he can remember God and declare his praises to those around him. Clearly David has sinned against God. David is tormented by his actions and by the burden he's bearing. He is faint from the overwhelming sense of God's holiness and God's righteousness. And he feels it in his bones and he cries out to the Lord for help. Let's take a more detailed look then at David's condition and we'll see that he felt faint from his sufferings. We've already begun to see a picture of how sorrowful David is. He's trembling, he's faint, he's weary, he's in agony and anguish. He says his bones are in agony and his soul is in anguish. And when he uses that word soul, he's speaking about the whole person. 
It's not just kind of the spirit or the internal person, but the totality of who he is. And the reference to bones seems to show that the terror he's experiencing goes right down to his core. David's pain is all-encompassing, but it's also deep. And I think this shows that we can't separate out our physical dimension or physical self from our spiritual dimension or spiritual self. You know, our emotional state, that sort of intangible part of us, the, the emotional state can impact on our physical state. Stress can lead to sleeplessness, to premature ageing, to ulcers and other sores. My response when I'm stressed, stressed is my eyes start to twitch a little bit. If you look closely, you'll see that. It's an early sign that I need to take a break. We just think about what happens when you receive really bad news. Maybe the death of a loved one. Your partner says out of the blue that they're leaving you. Someone's hacked your bank account and taken all your money. When you hear news like this, your body has a physical reaction, doesn't it? The blood drains from your face, you you feel faint, you get shaky, you might even start to feel pain because you can't separate your spiritual self from your physical self. Listen to Proverbs 14, verse 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. See, our feelings, our attitudes, our mental state can clearly impact on our physical bodies. Envy causes rot in our bones and guilt causes agony in our bones. And that's a key point that David's trying to make. See, the guilt over sin can cause us to suffer physically. Anguish over wrongdoing can literally make you feel sick. Have you ever had that sort of experience? Maybe when you were little, you did something wrong that you knew you were going to get in the trouble for. And just the fear of being caught by mum or dad caused you to cry and tremble. It's a bit like David's experience. We see in verse 6 that his sorrow spills over into tears. I, wear, I, uh, I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. David's struggles have worn him out. Well, it's not just suffering and physical pain and guilt that's wearing out, it's also his tears. David is flooding his bed. His couch is drenched with tears. Here's this week's artwork, giving expression to the creative side as we read through the Psalms. We have a picture of weeping on an ocean of tears. That's what David's talking about. It's like he's saying that there's so much crying going on, his bed is so wet that there are more tears than bed. And this is amazing when you consider that this is David, the king of Israel. You know the guy when he was a young man, slayed Goliath? He united all of the tribes of Israel and brought them under his leadership. He defeated his enemies, he took Jerusalem from enemy hands and made it the capital of his kingdom. And here he is sobbing himself senseless. Suffering is real. Sorrow is real. 
it's okay to express your sorrow. That's what we clearly see in this psalm. David expressed his sorrow with weeping. In verse 3 he cries out, How long, Lord, how long? He pleads with God to bring an end to his suffering. He begs the Lord to not judge him and send him to the grave. And he does so with weeping. Like a little child who runs up to her father crying because she's in pain, she knows that her dad will make everything right. David cries out to his heavenly dad and says through his tears, Oh Lord, please help me. in some ways that it's almost as if David is depressed. I know that there are many of you here who have experienced depression in your life or you have loved ones who have experienced it. I don't know but maybe you see yourself in David's words here, in his experience. You think about it, he has this feeling of sadness that he couldn't shake. He's spending enough time in his room that his bed is soaked through, he's crying when he should be sleeping. Have a look at verse 7. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all of my foes. Yes, the, the puffy, weakened eyes brought about by crying. But also that sunken, grey look that comes from a lack of sleep and constant mental assault. Perhaps you know, a distant stare and difficulty in focusing on the immediate, on the physical what's present. Overwhelming sadness, uncontrollable tears, sleeplessness, physical and emotional fatigue. Sounds a lot like depression, doesn't it? And so my dear brothers and sisters who might see themselves in these words, I want you to know that they've been written here for you. You see, David doesn't apologise for his state. He doesn't try to cover up with God. He's, he's honest about his situation. It's right here in the book of Psalms where the, the whole of Israel could read this. People throughout the ages have read this about David knowing that he was depressed. And so if you are struggling with a darkness that will not lift, know that it's no cause for shame. It's okay. God knows and God cares. I should say one thing though. David is suffering from the weight of his own sin. And I don't want to add further burdens by saying that if you're depressed, it's your fault. I'm not saying that at all. Rather, I want you to realise again the, the flexibility, the versatility of the Psalms, that we can pick up certain ideas, have the words that we need from these Psalms to say them to God. But it doesn't mean we have to perfectly align with every aspect of an individual Psalm. The imagery may resonate with you in a certain way and you can capture that imagery, capture that picture, that idea, those words and use them. And so I don't want you to think that if you see yourself in this psalm, it immediately means that all of your suffering is the cause of God's judgement over your particular sins. Well, after calling out to God for help and describing his situation, David then makes a sudden turn. 
in verses 8 to 10, we see that David's now confident in God and, and he speaks against his enemies. Have a look at verses 8, 9 and 10. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy, the Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Seems like a sudden jump, doesn't it, from weeping to rebuking enemies. And so it could be that David wrote the first part of the psalm and then finished it off later after God had answered his prayers. Or maybe even just the process of writing this psalm, processing his thoughts has helped him so that by the time he's finished composing it, he feels in a different place. But either way, David is confident because he knows that God has heard his cry for mercy, his request that God show favour. David experienced deep grief and sorrow probably because of his sin. He feared God's judgement and knew that the full weight of God's judgement would kill him. And so in the midst of weeping, in fact with words of weeping, David cries out to his God and asks for relief. He asks for mercy and forgiveness. That's David's experience. And I think that's a lot that we can learn from this. This psalm can help us to grapple with our own suffering, know what to do when we are filled with sorrow. And so when it comes to our own sorrow, it can come for a variety of reasons, can't it? It might be because of our own sin. It might be because of the sin of others. It could even just be because we live in a sinful, fallen world. You know, accidents happen, people get sick, we suffer from mental illness. What's helpful to remember about this psalm is that while David is suffering because of his own sin, the feelings that he expresses, the words that he uses, these are ones that we can adopt even if we are suffering for a different reason. And so my recommendation is that we can use this psalm as a model and follow these four steps. One, acknowledge your condition. Two, ask God for mercy. Three, express your sorrows to God. And four, don't let your enemies get you down. Let's start with the first one. Acknowledge your condition. It can be tempting in Christian circles to have one of two responses when it comes to our own suffering. The first is to deny that we're actually suffering. You know, we, we ignore our sorrow because we're worried that it might be a sign of unbelief. People might say, where's your faith? You know, so we push it down, we cover it up, we hold it in and keep it secret from others. Because we don't want to be a downer and we want to always be positive and happy. I think that's what true faith is. The other way, the second way is to not deny our sufferings but to almost like glorify our sufferings. Try to make out like it's awesome. You know, we fall back onto worldly sayings like no pain, no gain. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Or we misquote Romans 8 verse 28. You know, God makes all things work out for good. As if it's actually not that bad, we just need to hold on, hang in there and this is actually a really good thing we should celebrate. The problem is this just minimises the pain and reality of suffering. 
I mean, yes, God can use suffering to grow us. And Romans 8.28 actually says this. I'll read it out in full. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. His purpose is that we'll be made like Christ. Not that every bad day will turn into a positive day with a lottery ticket win at the end. It doesn't mean that everything will turn out good in our lives. It doesn't mean that everything that happens to us that we have to call it good because you can actually have years of painful suffering. The key is that God is still at work even in the midst of our suffering. And so we are allowed to call suffering bad. Acknowledge your condition, admit that it is bad. And Christians are allowed to admit that we find suffering hard. We don't use Romans 8 to say, therefore I shouldn't worry about suffering, I should just pretend like it's easy. No. It's okay to say to the people sitting around you, hey, I'm really struggling at the moment and I'm feeling pretty miserable. Admit your condition. Because this helps us then to deal with our suffering in a more honest and helpful way. So the second step is to ask God for mercy. This might be as simple as asking God to bring an end to your sickness or suffering. But it can also involve asking God for forgiveness. Now let me be clear again. I'm not saying that all sickness is the result of your sin. My wife Tracy has a condition called POTS, that's P-O-T-S in capitals, it's an acronym, and it means that she suffers from chronic fatigue, dizzy spells, nausea, other complications. Tracy first got sick when we were at university together and some well-meaning but unhelpful Christians suggested that what she needed to do was to find the root sin that was causing it. They suggested that God was punishing Tracy for some sin that she'd committed and if she identified the right one and repented of it, she'd be instantly healed. And this is a common idea in Christian circles. But can you see how destructive it is? See, God doesn't play games with us, you know, guess the mystery sin and God's like, oh, you're so close with that repentance. If you just had a repented for this sin, then I could heal you. God doesn't play games. But more importantly, not every moment of suffering that we experience is the result of our own sin. However, let's not be too quick to completely absolve ourselves of all responsibility because we know sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes our physical condition is indeed related to our spiritual or heart condition. So we do still need to take sin seriously. I'm trying to hold these two things together. It may be that there is in fact a sin that you've committed which you haven't apologised to God for and you're feeling that guilt and anguish even if you're not fully aware of it. It might be that you're nurturing a sin in your heart like envy or greed, lust, bitterness and this sin is eating away and causing anguish. 
It might be that you're engaging in sinful habits like overreading or sleeping around, taking drugs, watching porn. They have a more direct and immediate impact on you. And so I'm not saying you need to dig around for secret sins. I'm saying when you know that you've done something wrong and you're feeling the weight of your sin, you need to do something about it. And sometimes your bodily reaction is your body telling you you need to do something. And so it's important to confess to God and not act like you can fix it yourself. He truly can relieve your emotional and physical distress. We know this for he sent his son into the world to suffer in our place. As Jesus died on the cross, he experienced God's anger. He experienced God's wrath. His bones ached and he was in deep anguish. He experienced the death that David feared. He was cast into the grave where praises ceased. He did that for you. And so we know that we can receive mercy from God because he has dealt with our sins on the cross. So whatever the cause of your sorrow, ask God for mercy. And related to this idea of asking God for mercy is the third one in our series of steps. Express your sorrows to God. God knows that David is suffering because of what he's done wrong. God has allowed David to go through this trial. Yet the interesting thing is that David still sees it as okay to pour out his heart to God, the very God who's disciplining him. So even when God is disciplining you for your sin, you can still talk to him about how hard it is. And did you notice that David doesn't actually confess his sins in this psalm? I mean, perhaps he's already done that and this is the next prayer, seeking forgiveness and relief. But what it means though is that this psalm really is a guide for expressing your sorrow to God. It doesn't have to be sorrow due to guilt or sin. It might be that you're feeling weighed down by the burden of physical illness, mental illness, responsibilities at work or at home, tensions in your home, tensions at work, tensions at church even. You might be stressed about a decision you need to make or about having enough money. Whatever the cause of your sorrows, take them to God. Listen to these words of Jesus from John chapter 12. He's just spoken of how he must die and then he says this, Now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, It was for this very reason I came to this hour. It's a bit hard to see in our English Bibles but Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 6 verse 3. His soul is troubled. It is in deep anguish. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer, to feel that sorrow deep down in your bones. Jesus knew that the cross was coming, that his death was going to be unbearable not just the physical pain, but the spiritual agony of separation from his father. Yet Jesus endured it with faith and humility and God honoured him by raising him from the dead. And so it means now that we have a God who knows what it is to have a troubled soul and a heavy heart. So express your pain to God. 
Express your sorrow to God. Weep and cry, mourn and lament. Not all of our prayers to God have to be about joy and praise. Sometimes the only words we have to offer up to God are tear-soaked words of sorrow. Just a few weeks ago I was having a bad day. Things were not going well. I felt a bit weak. wasn't sure how I was going to go on and face the rest of the day. And I was praying through Psalm 23 in my Bible, sitting there, praying these words, making them my own, and I just burst into tears. It kind of took me by surprise, but that was my body telling me where I was at. It's okay. It's okay for you to pray to God like that too. David did it, you can. Jesus did it, you can. And the last step I want us to think about when it comes to expressing our sorrows to God is to not let your enemies get you down. David trusted God even though his enemies were taking advantage of his weakened state. He had to be patient. It wasn't a five-minute session of tears and everything was fixed. He's crying out, How long, Lord, how long? And so don't give up when God takes a long time in answering your prayer. And in the meantime, don't let your enemies get you down. And they can come in many forms. Perhaps they are indeed political opponents like David or maybe family members like David. Perhaps they're people who criticise you or mock you, they make your life hard, put pressure on you. Perhaps your enemy is Satan who tempts you to sin, tries to get you to believe lies about God and about yourself. It might be that your enemy is your illness or your mental condition. And sometimes, let's be honest, our own enemy, our worst enemy can be ourselves. We persecute ourselves with condemning thoughts, unrelenting standards. We lack patience with ourselves and so we get angry and uptight. Don't beat yourself up when you're filled with sorrow. Allow yourself to express your sadness, to give voice to it. Allow yourself time and space, the time and space that it might take to work through this suffering. Whatever form your enemies may come in, keep trusting in God and don't let them get you down. Even if sorrow is something that you're not overly familiar with, and if that's the case, praise God. It's not a competition, is it? Praise God. But I trust that Psalm 6 will help you when the time does come. Or at the very least, may it help you to be compassionate towards those who are suffering. Let's not add to their grief by our unhelpful responses and advice. Sorrow is something that we all experience at one time or another. It's painful, yet it's normal. And so if you're feeling sorrow right now, then understand you're not alone. You have a church that loves you. And I love you too and I'm happy to sit with you and to listen, to pray. We can read through Psalm 6 together. And remember that God cares. What David teaches us in this psalm is that when you are suffering, you can express your sorrows to God in honest prayer. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus, who truly was a man of sorrows, yet he went to the cross so that one day our sorrows might cease, that every tear would be wiped away. We thank you that in his life, death and resurrection, the kingdom has come and it is growing as more and more people trust in him. And so as we await that glorious day to come, help us to express our sorrows to you honestly and may we find relief from you, may we know your unfailing love and may we persevere each day. Amen.